Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed, so I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners, from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. 
Hey, Mighty One. With nearly 300 breathful episodes in over five years, it may be hard to know where to begin listening to the show. To make it easier, we've put together the Best of Birthful series, which showcases some of our favorite or most relevant episodes. This is one of those. If you enjoy what you hear, make sure you subscribe. It's free, and that way you won't miss a thing. Enjoy. My guest today is the fabulous Carrie Conti. Carrie, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you here today. Mm, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yay. So we're going to do this a little bit different today, and I'm going to have you um, tell us who you are and how you got into this, came to the side of babies, the baby world. Wonderful. I would love to. So I came, I come to it a little differently than most. Um, my journey did not, uh, I didn't land here because I got pregnant and became a mom and just got, you know, thoroughly enchanted by that whole world. It was uh, more an innate calling that I really tapped into as a little child. So when I was seven, I got the whole, I was always interested in babies. Whenever my mom would bring out the birthday cake from the time I can remember four five, six, my wish was that my parents would have a baby because I was just thoroughly like smitten and I just wanted to know what they were about. And people would give me dolls and I just, that was not satisfying at all. I needed a baby. So they never had any more children, but um, my neighbor's, down the street did. And when I was seven, we got to go visit right after this little one was born. And this mom, for whatever crazy reason, put this little person, he was maybe five days old, into my arms. And there was just this ignition, this sort of feeling that came up through my body and my whole being just sort of lit up with joy that I was like really doing this thing that I was loving. And so for the rest of my time living with my parents from childhood through teenhood, I was the babysitter, mother's helper. I was just with these moms and these children really um, practicing my, you know, observing and getting a really clear sense of what it means to grow and to be a parent and all that. And then I went on to get uh, a master's here at UT in health education. And then I went and got a PhD in prenatal and perinatal psychology from the universe, from a Santa Barbara Graduate Institute. And what I find fascinating, because I, I, I so I am a birth doula, I've been so for about 10 years, and mm-hmm. my daughter's 12. And when I, you know, mm-hmm. I see this a lot of my clients, and I saw it in myself, that once I had a baby, like when I was pregnant and ready to have a baby, I had had very, very, very yeah. little contact with newborns, and right. had really almost no idea what to do with them. <laughs> right. I think that's common. Yeah. Yeah. And so we always talk about how it would be great if newborns would come with a manual. But now mm-hmm. fast forward a few years later, and I'm sure you've known this for gazillion years, that they actually kind of do because they're constantly right. and very specifically communicating their needs. So exactly. what are some of the ways they do that? the paradigm I operate from, and it's really based in my studies and just my life, is that, um, you know, the old way of thinking was that they arrive as a blank slate, and you don't really have a person, you just have a baby. And until they can do all the things that you need to teach them to do to be a person, quote, unquote, um, that they're not really there. But what we now know, and I knew this even as a kid, but we now have science to back it up, is that we arrive conscious and that we are what I call the big being in the little body, that even though we can't use the body and we don't have the neurology or the muscle structure, 
to do all the things that the adults or even the kid people do, um, it doesn't mean we're not there. And it definitely does not mean we're not communicating meaningfully. So when you do arrive in that very primitive, very small body, and you are bringing the awareness of the universe with you, (laughs) um, what they do have is they can make sounds with their voice. They don't speak a language yet that has to be wired and learned and wired in, but they can make different sounds and they also are moving their bodies and they're using their eyes. I mean, they're doing everything they can with the limited capacity that they have to make sure that the people around them get to know them and get to know their cues so that they can communicate and ultimately survive and thrive. Yeah. So what are some ways that parents can tune into or help, you know, learn this language and figure out those cues and and to help respond to their babies? Beautiful. So there's kind of two facets and this will, you know, people, you can take this with you through every stage of parenting. There's what you do with the other, what you do with the child, the baby, the, the person, and, and more, and honestly, more importantly, what you do with yourself. So I'll start with self because when it comes to parenting, um, you want to, you want to become reflexive and this will take time and it's a skill that you learn over time, but you want to at least be aware that really learning how to slow yourself down and, and steady yourself and really connect with you in the midst of connecting with another person is really step number one. So what we often do in our culture is the baby gets upset or starts crying or does something and we go into reaction and we hold them and we go, oh, you're fine, you're fine, it's okay, it's okay. And we start running the part of our brain that's in reaction. It's it's usually a lower brain state and it's a part that just wants to make sure it's doing what needs to be done to stop whatever's happening or to help the person. But what is actually more effective, both in the short term and the long term, especially in terms of understanding what this person is trying to communicate, because it is a different language in the beginning, is to really, first and foremost, really connect with yourself and really just acknowledge like, ooh, I'm a little revved up. Ooh, I'm a little extra tired right now. Oh, my body is telling me that my stomach's tight. Okay, take a breath. So there's that first step, which is really about the adult really connecting with the adult before you go toward the other. And when you do that and you start practicing that, what it does is it gets you present and it allows you to be a lot more receptive and open to what this person is communicating. And I think the first thing that parents really need to be remembering is just like with any relationship, especially with a person who doesn't necessarily speak the same language that you speak, it's a, it, it takes time and it, it needs to unfold. And you might have a person arrive and you might feel like, oh, I've known you forever. But you also might have another person, child, arrive and you might feel like, oh, I don't really know you yet. But it doesn't mean you're not going to know them. It just means you have to slow a little, you have to slow down and really start to almost be a detective. Just be curious. And if you can really hold that mind state of curiosity of, ooh, who, you know, the, the four questions I invite parents to be asking them their little people, whether they're in the womb or 55, is who are you? What are you here for? What do you need? And how can I help you? And if you hold that curiosity in every phase, you're just going to get a different awareness of the communication than you would if you are looking for something that may or may not be there yet. Hmm. 
can you just because listen, listening is harder than reading. Can you repeat yeah. those four questions for I sure our listeners? Can, yeah. yeah. So it's um, just the big question: Who are you? And not just like, oh, you're the seven pound baby who has blonde hair. It's like, no, who are you? Like, what is your? And then, what are you here for? So, if you operate from this mindset of we come in as conscious beings that are all here to travel on our own path. It's a curiosity that you want to be aware of that you don't know this person yet and they are a person and you're not making them who they are. You're just going to start relating to who they are um, as you get to know them. So who are you? What are you here for? What do you need? So in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you want to be connected with, you know, what are you needing right now developmentally, but also in the bigger picture, are you somebody who is really tuned into joy? Are you somebody who's really into science? Like, what do you need from me to really thrive and be the, 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 the version of yourself that's the most whole? And then the fourth question is, how can I help you? So how can we help you? How can we support you in this early phase of development to really unfold into the person that you're here to be? Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. 
Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com or look for it at amazon.com. And I so appreciate that shift in perspective from, oh, you're crying, let's stop the cry, to, like, what are you trying to tell me with the sound that you're making? Right, 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 exactly. And that requires that self-parenting first, because the reaction, which is very normal and natural, to want to fix it or stop it, that, that's, that's very, that's wired in, whether it's innate or it's something we learned because of how we were cared for, doesn't matter. It's in there. But there's also a way that if we slow ourselves down and we really acknowledge, oh, you're a tiny little baby person trying to do your best to communicate, I need to slow myself down so I can hear you and I can be present with you, you're going to just unfold a much richer connection. They're going to feel you being present and they're going to appreciate it. And you're going to get to know their cues and their communications a lot more efficiently. You know, it may not, it might still take a little time, but over time you're going to start really getting it. And you're going to hear a little bit of a distinction between a hungry cry and a wet cry, or you're going to notice when they've been playing for a few minutes and they start rubbing their eyes that they're trying to let you know that they need a break and they need you to regulate and, the, and get them to a nap sooner than maybe if you don't notice that. So it's C-A-L-M-S. The C stands for check in with yourself. And then the A stands for allow a breath. So when the little person's alarm goes off and you're going to them, if you can just take one to 10 seconds just to go, oh, wow, I'm revving. I've got a lot going on in me because this little person's upset. Okay, let me take a breath and just try to slow myself down because I know that this person is reading my energy because little baby humans are tuned into their caregivers and they feel the energy. They don't just hear your words. They feel how you're feeling. So if you come to them with a lot of anxiety, they're going to get more alarmed because they were just upset because they're hungry. But now the person who's here to care for them is all revved up they are looking for somebody to communicate on a very primal level. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm, I'm, you might be feeling that I'm a little off, but I'm taking what I need. I need to, I'm doing what I need to do to slow myself down and really get present with you. So those are the first two steps. And you could be holding a baby. It doesn't mean you're in the other room taking 10 minutes to meditate. It literally is just doing it while you're interacting with this person, but making that just a conscious first step. So it's C, check in with yourself, A, allow a breath. Those are the things you do for yourself. Then what you do with the little one is L, listen, and mirror. And they go hand in hand. So, you know, crying, crying, crying little person, instead of going, oh, you're fine, you're fine, shush, 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 you go, oh, you're sad, you're, you're showing me, you're crying, I see you. So you're listening, and then you're mirroring back, mirroring back what you're seeing. Even if you don't know what it means, you're just acknowledging, I'm with you, and I'm, I'm seeing where you're at. And then S is just soothe. So, you know, you do do the five S's that um, Harvey Karp might talk about, the soothing, swinging, all that stuff. Um, You might have to change them. You might see them. You might walk outside. You might bounce on the bouncy ball and try to settle them. 
But if you take these four steps first, not only are you getting more present so that you're going to be more impactful in the moment in communicating to them and their nervous system that all is well and that they're safe, but you're also modeling for them long-term the ability to emotionally regulate themselves in healthy ways. So Carrie, okay, what is going on in a brand new baby's brain those first few weeks, first few months? What should parents know about those early stages? Um, Well, I love this question as well. This is one of my favorite questions. So we know more than ever about brain development and probably it's, you know, a, a thimble full of information from, from what we will know down the road. But right now, it's, it is an exciting time to be a parent because, like I said, we used to think that there was nobody home, that until they had myelination and all these big words, that they weren't really remembering anything and they weren't really going to be the doing the human thing, quote unquote, human things yet. But um, what we know now is that they arrive from the womb. And they have all the brain structures and all the neurons that they'll ever need to connect up and do all the things that'll be making them sing and dance and do art and read and all the cool stuff that we do as humans. But they don't come pre-wired, that we arrive and we've got all the wiring in place, but nothing's connected. And the reason for that is, well, and that's not true, about 20% is connected and it's the brain stem, which is our survival brain. And the reason for that is a couple of reasons. One is we arrive out of the womb um, earlier than most mammals would in terms of development uh, because our our heads get too big. We have to come out. Um, And number two, probably and more importantly, in terms of evolution, we wouldn't want to wire in there for things that we aren't going to be using. So basically, the little one comes out with just enough wiring to communicate survival, like, am I safe or not safe? And if I'm safe, I'm quiet. And if I'm not safe, I'm in fight or flight. So I'm crying or moving my body or trying to get you to get get somebody um, to know that I'm not feeling safe and I need help. They've got that wiring at birth. But beyond that, they don't come out pre-wired to connect. They don't come out pre-wired to speak a language. And like I said, it's actually brilliant because it's it's a use it or lose it system. So it's waiting for the environment that the person comes into to really help them shape what, what gets connected so that they're going to be the most efficient chance of them surviving and thriving. So once they get out and they're here for about six weeks, they're basically just operating from that reptilian brain state. Now, don't forget what I said early on, there is a being in there. So they're not not home, but they just aren't wired to accept express it yet. So in a way, it's a little bit like somebody who's had a stroke where they're in there and they're experiencing the world and they're getting information through the senses and they're making connections, but they're not able to express very much. And so you really want to honor the being and treat them like a person, but you also want to honor the primitiveness of their, of their um, physical experience in those moments. Okay. So how do you do that? Well, I think a couple of a couple of ways. One is you recognize that they've been inside of this person, whether it's the mother who's caring for them or somebody else for nine months, and that's the environment they've known. So they come out and they don't know what they're coming into. They don't know what's going on here. They have to learn. 
And so you want to offer them um, a sense of safety, physical and emotional safety, first and foremost, so that they can emerge almost from this fourth trimester. So if you can give them that first six weeks and then another six weeks to really start to land in their physical experience on Earth, and really imagine yourself almost as their ambassador slash, you know, trusted caregiver, that your job is to really try to communicate to them you're safe and here's this place that we're in and we're going to get you oriented to the smells and the scents and the um, sights and the sounds in a way that really honors how vulnerable and, and you know, overwhelmed you can get. So there's a lot about attuning to this little person and really trying to help um, regulate when they're exposed to lots of stimulation, recognizing that they might need you to pull them in and, and wear them or keep them nice and close. And also not racing ahead and thinking, well, you've been out here three months, you better self-soothe or else I'm going to you know, create a monster. Like that's a crazy way of thinking. We have to be really, really, really honoring of the fact that this person doesn't know this world and it's our job to really earn their trust. And the way that you earn their trust is to make sure that you're doing what you can to communicate to them that they're safe and that they're, what they're communicating matters and that you're working on getting connected and trying to learn each other, uh, you know, with patience and a lot of love. Carrie, you mentioned six weeks and six weeks. And I, yep. I, so what happens, like, um, <laughs> that, that seems foreshadowing. What happens <laughs> at the first six weeks and then at the second six weeks that makes a big difference? Yeah, so much. It's crazy. So, all right, this little one, you know, seven-ish pounds. Obviously, there's ranges, but let's just say, like, an average little human comes out at about seven pounds and like I said, they're not pre-wired other than to take in information through their senses and let the people, let anybody know, am I safe or am I not safe? Can you help me if I'm not safe? Can you just make sure I stay alive? Oh, my belly is saying I need food. Ah, alarm goes off. And they're really just in reaction to life and hoping for the best. <laughs> so that's the first six weeks. And then at about six weeks, sometimes on the dot for many little people, if they arrived on their basically their due date, um, there's a lot that happens in those first six weeks that is really helping them adjust to breathing and adjust to digestion and adjust to, you know, having a life outside the womb. And then at six weeks, there's something that happens in the brain where we move into the, the, the one up level of our brain, which is our limbic system. So I operate with the triune brain. Um, that's the parent, the, that's the brain system that I help parents understand is this three part brain so first that's wired is that reptile brain, that brainstem, that's survival. And the second brain is all about attachment and connection and emotion. So they're still not using words, but similar to mammals, they're using you know, eye contact. So at six weeks, almost to the day, you've got this little human who all of a sudden is making eye contact and you're, you know, almost feeling like they finally are here because those first six weeks, it's too much for their little system to be sustaining eye contact. But at six weeks, they really open that door. And that's when you, you know, so you're, you're bonding with them for the first six weeks. But then at, at those, once they hit six weeks, you really start a whole new journey with them where you're really starting the relationship. 
And you do start learning their communication with a little more skill and a little more depth in terms of, oh, you're looking at me. Okay, now you're looking away. That was too much. Okay, next time I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go home a little sooner or things like that. And so, you know, what I love reminding people, and I love um, T. Barry Brazelton. He has a book called Touch Points that I think is just a classic because what it helps you understand is that development is not linear that you just acquire and get more skilled. It's a few steps forward and then a few steps back and then, um, and then you make a leap. And so at a little before two weeks, a little before six weeks, a little before three months, a little before four months, a little before six months, a little before nine months, you could have dysregulation, disequilibrium where you might've had a, a great eating and sleeping pattern um, going and then all of a sudden it's all crying and eating or not eating and really if you if you understand development you realize that's necessary for the leap that they're evolving to this new version of themselves mm-hmm. and so you want to be aware of that because it could be where you start thinking like our typical culture would say oh no there's a problem I need to get help and fix it but really if you understand human development and you understand the milestones and you understand that they're actually necessary for the growth that they're moving into and the new phase that they're going to add, the new facet of themselves that they're going to explode into, you really start to welcome more of those challenging times. Or at least you don't fear them and think erroneously, I need to fix this. Yeah. And you really just start to celebrate, ooh, I wonder what's coming because, wow, it's six, it's week five and you're up nursing many more times than you were a week ago. Okay, nothing's wrong. You're just getting ready for that six week burst and we're going to get a little more interaction from you. How exciting. Mm -hmm. So what happens at 12 weeks? So what I see at 12 weeks is a few things. One is physically they start, you know, they might. And again, everybody is different. So I like to give hallmarks, but I also like to invite people to not get stuck in, oh, my baby isn't doing that. But really, you know, there's some rhythms and whether it, it happens at five weeks or, you know, whether, I mean, whether it happens at 10 weeks or 14 weeks or 15 weeks, it doesn't matter. We're just looking at like hallmarks and rhythms of change. At three months, um, a lot of little ones start to roll over or they start to move their body. They start to see and play with things and grab things. That's a little more in the four month range, but that's certainly there. They start vocalizing a lot differently than they had been. They might be a little more amenable to a little tummy time. You know, you could have, you could be practicing tummy time for a month and that little one can only stand it for two to five seconds and then they have to be picked up. But then one day, maybe around three months, you put them down and all of a sudden they're, they're into it and they're like, oh, this is fun now. And a lot of it has to do with just the fact that they're more mature and they can hold themselves up a little differently and it feels more safe to be able to do that. So those would be some of the biggies. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's like verbal, you know, vocalization. So you hear those little squeals, which are just like melt your heart, crazy, wonderful. Um, They become a little more awake to the world. So you might be out and they might make note of, you know, a stranger a little differently or, They might watch a kid on a swing a little differently than they had prior to that. Uh, they definitely start moving their bodies in new ways, rolling over and maybe holding themselves up a little bit when they're on their tummy. Um, and, you know, if you pay a lot of attention, you could really start having some sweet little 
conversations with them. Most little tiny baby humans um, are needing a lot of both your physical attention, but also your emotional energy. And so I think, you know, what, what parents really have to pay attention to, and this is probably the crux of my message at any age, is because you're the regulator because you're the one steadying that these little humans don't come with a nervous system that can regulate their emotional experience. You have to be very aware that you're giving not just your physical energy with your, you know, by not sleeping and giving them food and all that, but they actually are requiring your emotional energy to manage the emotional ups and downs that are inevitable for their development. And so you want to be 51% more attuned to your own well-being than the giving that you're doing. And that's, I'm just asking people to be 1% more, that you are giving, 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 but really the biggest message you're giving this little person is regulation. And so if you can um, really stop and just be checking in on yourself and having little micro practices that get you a little more juice in your cup, you really want to be very mindful of that because you could easily just turn around and realize like you're beyond depleted and most people do get there. And it doesn't mean even if you know this stuff that you're not going to get depleted, but you just want to become more tuned in to the fact that, Oh, I have to keep you regulated. So I have to make sure that I'm staying even a little bit regulated in myself or else, or else we're all going down. And it's much harder to get everybody back if both, if everybody goes off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and that def- your definition of parenting or the parent that you are is not defined by the amount of time that you give your child. Exactly. Right. And that, you know, if you're a spun out mom, but you're thinking, oh, well, but I'm with my child all the time, I should get I should figure this out versus somebody who says, all right, I'm the boat steadier. If the boat gets wobbly and I need help steadying it, that's okay because it doesn't matter. And if I need to step away and get some space and then come back and I'm fresher, the little the little people, they don't they don't they would rather have you less but you more present and more emotionally regulated than a spun out parent who never steps away and doesn't know how to, you know, get refilled. Like they can handle it. They just want adults who can communicate you're safe and you're, you know, you're amazing and we love you and we're delighting in you. And it's harder to do that because of where you are in your brain when you get too overdone. So as stress goes up, the brain goes down and it would be nice if we didn't have to recharge ourselves to be more human and more conscious in our very special human brain that gets developed, you know, starting at, you know, nine, 10 months and then continues to develop as we grow. But as adults, you know, if you don't recharge and you're helping another person build their brain, you're going to, you're going to run out of steam and you're going to move into the parts of your brain that are more crispy and cranky and then ultimately potentially, you know, guilt ridden or depressed all because of the energy in and the energy out. It's not a, it doesn't mean it's something wrong with you. It just means, Oh wow. I didn't realize how much energy this was all going to take. I need some help. I need somebody helping me get energy in my system so that I can give the energy that this person is wired into need from me. Mm. I, I absolutely love that. That's basically the number one way to calm and care for your baby is calming and caring for yourself. 
Yay! Exclamation point. You just said everything that I'm trying to teach the universe right now. New t-shirt. We have two t-shirts today. (laughs) You mentioned, so the three-part brain system, the reptile Mm -hmm. comes on right away. The limbic sort of steps in around six weeks. What is the third one and when does it come on? The third one is that human neocortex. It's only, as far as we know, uh, you know, it's very specialized to us humans. It allows for language and rational thought and consciousness and all the cool stuff that allows us to be uniquely human. Um, And so as you help wire somebody's brain, which you're doing as a parent to this little person, they're not just hearing your words, they're reading your brain states. And so it's, you know, I, I when I first started my work, I had a little tagline, a shirt, a T-shirt that said, um, or I wanted to make that said, "Self-care is not a luxury; it's a necessity." Carrie, thank you so much for this fantastic conversation today. You've been listening to a Best of Birthful episode, and there are many more where this came from. Look for episodes with the words "Best of Birthful" in the title to continue your deep dive to inform your intuition. You can find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com. You can also connect with us directly on Instagram. We're at Birthful Podcast. Birthful was created by me, Adriana Lozada, and is a production of Lantigua, Williams & Co. The show's senior producer is Paulina Velasco. Virginia Lora is the managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer. Thank you for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and everywhere you listen. Listen every week for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.